Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns today are they, them. And joining me tonight is Sydney, an Australian game developer that I met at PAX Oz uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I had a wonderful time hanging out with them, and when they mentioned that they also do interviews, I had a real hankering to collaborate. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Sydney. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Uh, thank you, Ray. Uh, hello, my name is uh, Sydney. I use they, them pronouns, uh, and I am uh, the Baz Lerman of the RPG community, is the way I normally introduce myself to people. Wow. That's a bold claim. Uh, it's more about having zero restraint, no subtlety. Um, I just go ham every time. That, okay, yeah, all right, all right. I'm here for that. Um, so, uh, I think it might be worth briefly mentioning that this will be somewhat of an experimental interview episode because... Uh, one of the things that I was interested in, because Sydney also does interviews, as I mentioned earlier, uh, is we're sort of going to be both interviewing each other. Um, we don't know how that's going to work out. We're just going to have a go at it and see what happens. Um, so I'm sure that it will be good content either way. But yeah, we, we don't really know what this episode is going to look like or what its trajectory is going to be. Shall I do the opening question? Oh, please do. Wonderful. Please. So our standard opening question... Uh, is normally where might what might people know you from, uh, and then we transition into a question about you know how you got started in RPGs. Mm. Uh, so, so uh, yeah. people might know me from. Um, I'm doing a a bit of a YouTube series at the moment um, where I'm live vlogging my design uh, for some RPGs, kind of PBTA um, role playing, and, and I've also done some smaller work on there. Uh, it's called Drawing the Owl, and it's all about um, being okay with failure and the stumbles that that happen before success. Uh, it is, um, you, you might know me from that, but considering my views are in the, the sixes and sevens, I don't think you'd know me from that. Uh, but I also, you know, have some of my own actual plays and stuff up there. But that's my main zone at the moment. Uh, and that's also where I do my, my interviews. Yeah, excellent. Uh, it's a thing that I have been, uh, I was keen to check out, but I didn't know what the name of it was. We were, we were, when we, when you told me, oh, I do interviews and stuff like, oh, I gotta get in contact with you. And I wasn't able to track down the locale for them. So, um, it's gonna be nice to have a link for people. Um, yeah. It's yeah. secondary to my imposter syndrome is that I don't have good SEO and not very good at putting myself out there. Cause at the moment, it's just a silly little thing that I do in my own time. Yeah. I mean, and some creative exploits are not, some creative exploits are made to be shared, but not to be promoted. Mm. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Um, like, um, I have a not safe for work Tumblr. I don't promote it at all. I think this is the first time I've mentioned it on the show. Um, no, you cannot have a link to it if you message me. Um, I will only link it to you if we talk in person. So oh, well, there goes my first that, that message is more directed at the listeners. I'm not going to... No, you cannot have my not safe for work Tumblr. <laughs> Oh, I can't imagine many of our listeners would ask. Most of them are not those kinds of people. Um, which is why it doesn't get promoted. Which is why it doesn't get promoted. That's not what they come here looking for. Or at least that's not what I understand they come here looking for. Yeah. Um, but I guess, unless you have another uh, a question, I would be interested in hearing uh, where, why you first got into RPGs as a hobby and then when, what was the thing that tipped you over to becoming a game developer? Mm -hmm. 
So the first question is an easy one, which is that I started playing uh, a forum game of Fate mm. and I was in raptured i was absolutely in love with the idea and we tried three times to make it work forum games that have this really weird barrier of entry where you have to um you're booking in for long periods of time you have to check back on regular schedules you have to wait for other people uh and it's it's a very different kind of that play by post speed is very different we tried it three times and each time we never got past the um the your story section of of fate where you like oh, wow. create your adventure together have you have you played fate right yes we've uh, we've played fate on the podcast before oh, and i've pl- i've written a fate game which is actually in the process of being rewritten into not a fate game because <laughs> i realized that a bunch of the mechanics didn't need to be in fate game will work better if i don't have it in fate oh that's that's a that's a really cool decision i oh, i want to ask about that another time um, you can ask more about. You can jot it down and r- I, ask about it in a couple of minutes because it's a. It's this is a collaborative interview. That's exactly what I've done. I mean, all interviews are collaborative, but more so the, the this is a this is a this is a non hierarchical interview, I guess. Yes. Well, uh, I, I still feel like I'm in your space, but I'm I'm totally okay to assert a bit of dominance at any point. Um, yeah, so we, we got through uh, the Your Story section about three times and it was it was this really cool experience because that's such a collaborative way to tell stories and it's, and it's really about um, listening to someone build a scene and then choosing where you engage in that scene and it's, it's wonderful and collaborative. And uh, after that, I stopped playing role-playing. I'm, I'm not actually even sure I really did play role-playing games up to that point. Uh, and then two years later, I found D&D and I tried to fill the hole with it but it doesn't, it doesn't do that collaborative listening nature of a game. It's very much I do my thing and then you do your thing and the two don't really interact. And, uh, and I, can hear my f- I can hear me regurgitating that line later to some friends and then being like, but it does when you do it, like, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but the game is not structured in such a way to encourage that. You have to do that. When you do that, it is not enfor- reinforced or supported by the mechanics. It's a thing you're doing because you know it's good storytelling. So I think we spoke about this at PAX. I definitely spoke about it to Melody and to the Story Bros, to V and Haley. But D&D is soda water. And every time you say to someone, I don't like soda water because it's really bland, they say to you, oh, but mine has vodka and lime in it. Well, you don't like soda water. You like vodka and you like lime. And so do I. That's why I play the vodka and lime game. You, That's a great analogy. If Every time people are like, no, soda water is great if you put a little bit of like Coke syrup in it and then it's sugar. That's not soda water. No, then you've made Coke. Which which is great. You've made homebrew cola, which is fine. Homebrew cola is fine, but I don't want to homebrew my own cola. No, I, I don't want LA ice. I want Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, wow, wild. And so, and so when did you make, when did you jump the shark, so to speak, and become a game developer? Or what was the catalyst for you where you were like, hmm, I should make my own game? Uh, so I... I got back into role-playing games um, with uh, The Gauntlet, who are an online community. Uh, are you familiar with them in their space? I am familiar with The Gauntlet. Our listeners might not be. Absolutely. For your listeners, um, The Gauntlet is uh, an online community that started as a face-to-face gaming group in uh, Houston, I think, in the US, um, and has since grown into this international um uh, they they have OSR, um, not a lot of trad, a lot of story games, and it's a very um, open, diverse, uh, encouraging space. 
Um, and it's and it's one that's kind of built on um, uh, building each other up, supportive play, and um, assuming people have like uh, assuming the best in the people that you play with. Uh, and and in the gauntlet, it's very hard to not want to design things because there are so many wonderful design brains who are not only throwing around their own ideas but saying to you, "What are your ideas? How can I help you make something?" We knew that was at least three. Their Zine um, Project Codex uh, came out and, or sorry, has been produced for a couple of years now. Uh, they're up to volume three. It's it's a really nice product, and it is a product that pays people to write RPG content for them. Yeah, I think um, we talked about it on Quest Markers, which is our Patreon only show. Mm-hmm. But the first time I, I bought Codex. I subscribed to the Patreon for it because I saw somebody talking about Body Hack, which is a single-player journaling RPG about um, your the first 30 days of your life with a new limb, mm-hmm. um, like a cyberpunkish kind of arm. Uh, and I was like, I need to play it. I need to play it. I need to do an actual play of it. And I got like 10 days into recording an actual play of this game and then needed to stop. Um, not because the game was difficult, because I was like having trouble just keeping up with it. And like, I have plans to return to that as a project because I want to be the person that does an actual play of a journaling RPG. Um, uh, but yeah, like that was when I first bought the gauntlet, uh, the codex and I was like, Oh yeah, this is cool. And so I supported them on a on Patreon for a little while. Hmm. Um, it's definitely worth checking out listeners. Uh, if you're, I mean, if you subscribe to the Patreon podcast and you've already heard me talk about it, but yeah, it's worth checking out. Yeah. yeah cool. And that was my, my first paid design work. Um, First off, writing a Dogs in the Vineyard Town, which I'm still very proud of. And then secondly, uh, I had Matches to Paper Dolls, a, a game about, it's a play-by-post game of um, possibly lost love and hope that uh, I wrote with um, Jesse Ross, who's an excellent design partner. That's so cool that you wrote a play-by-post, because that's like where you began, it's was with play-by-post. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all circles. It circles all the way down. It circles all the way down. I mean, turtles are kind of circular. Uh, they are from, from one angle. Oh, I guess two angles if you flip them. Mm, true, true. Um, cool. Did you have any questions that you wish to ask me? Because I, I, I have so many questions. I absolutely do. So um, at the beginning of this interview, uh, you called me a game developer. And I think that's a really interesting um, question. Do you consider yourself a, a game developer or designer? I normally refer to myself as a game designer. Um, so I'm, you... not, I'm not quite sure why I prefer that term, but I do. Well, I was hoping we could drill into that. Do you? Yeah. What do you think designer says about you that developer doesn't? I mean, just thinking about it right now, I feel like designer suggests perhaps a bit more... Um, I think game designer might be slightly narrower. It might be the difference between Catholic and Christian. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think like game developer could be, oh, I'm an editor and I specialize in, you know, and I work as a game developer, like mm-hmm. work in the game development field. Whereas I feel like game designer is, I make like game ideas or take others' ideas and refine them into games and then other people edit them, other people do nice. layout, other people do everything else. Like, I don't think. I would hope that one day I have some skills in layout and some skills in um, and get better at editing so that I can, one, save money on those things, but two, also so that I don't need... When I put out a tiny game that's one page, I don't need to like pay someone else to do it, but that does require paying other people to do it at 
for the first few games that I come up with in order to learn what they're doing and also paying people to teach me some of those skills um, and trading for some of those skills. Like um, I traded for... for the business some of, cards? Some of Arosha's uh, design work was kind of trade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably where the distinction is for me. Um, uh, yeah, I think developer feels slightly broader than designer, but I haven't really given it much consideration. I think I probably just went with game designer because the people I was, I, I was looking up to were calling themselves game designers. So, well... I mean, looking up to is perhaps the wrong phrase because I feel like looking up to suggests that I put them on like a pedestal, which I very much do not do hero worship. Um, oh, boy. I We need to unpack that at some point. You can unpack it right now. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I don't do... I don't... Yeah, I, I went... I guess... Not people I looked up to, but people that inspired me is a better way to say it. Yeah. Right. Do you want to unpack that now? So... Um, to give you my my thing at the start, I, I'm I am constantly upset with the amount of hero worship that does happen in RPGs and in the RPG community. I think that um, uh, there are a lot of D and D sites and forums and stuff that I like to be engaged in, just because I'm interested in where that community is sort of going. I don't kind of play too much of it anymore, um, and and my roommate does play a lot of D and D, and so I kind of poke my head into that all the time. And one thing I found is there's this um, insidious act at the moment where someone will ask a question, and the first response is always just someone linking a Matt Covell video. Mm. And the same thing happens with Adam Ad- uh, with Adam Covell's videos. God, that, God, that name well. sounds familiar. Matt Koval or Adam? Yeah, Koval. Matt Koval. Who's who's Matt Koval? He, he created a YouTube series called Running the Game, which is about GMing D&D 5e. And it doesn't has... sound familiar at all, but yet the name does. <laughs> Odd. Uh, he's done some recent stuff with um, Koval and uh, Mercer through Twitter and, and things like that. Ah, well, Mercer. Which yeah, there may we go. I probably heard it from someone talking about Mercer. And um, that's kind of the thing that, that I'm getting to here is like I, I think that that we uh, we give RPGs and products and people's videos and things a lot of credence just for being written by people that we have been told previously are good. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that for sure. Um, I guess I guess with like hero worship for myself. Oh, mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, the heroes I looked up to were fictional, like. And and when I became a teenager in particular, the he- the people I was looking up to were not adults because all of the adults in my life I felt were not very good role models. Um, but all of the all of the but they were characters that I looked up to. Like I mean, in high in early high school, Paul Atreides, mm-hmm. which is June's just a bad thing for a teenager to read, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> they do not have the emotional depth. To to understand uh, the true magnitude of what Paul is going through, and instead of like, oh wow, what if I'm psychic? Um, uh, and and then later on, um, I'm not 100 percent sure if I'm pronouncing this name correctly, but Paula Moyo from Peter of Hamilton's uh, book series, The Commonwealth Saga, um, was particularly important to me because. Much like Paula, I also seem to have a genetically ingrained inability to break rules. 
but also a deep understanding that rules needed to be broken. Um, and so I too got physically ill when I was put in a situation where I had to break a rule. Um, uh, I, uh, yeah. Uh, so, and then later on, uh, I just realized that there's a, that people can inspire you and you can, and you can learn from people, but everyone that I saw putting people up on like pedestals and doing the hero worship thing of like, Oh wow, this person's so wonderful. And I want to be like them in, inevitably were disappointed either when they couldn't be like them for whatever reason, or like that could be, you just physically cannot be another person. That's not possible. Um, even if you could impersonate them, you're impersonating them. You're not being them. Um, and also like, and or, or or like they have opportunities that I'm not going to ever have. Like they happened to be present right at the dawn of this particular medium when it was cheap and they stuck with it and then became a forefront of the medium. Or uh, they have a bunch of money that they made from a very successful web show and now they are investing it in a bunch of other things and of course their show has higher production value than mine and of course they can hire voice actors to be cast members i don't have that level of financial resources i'm not gonna be able to match that um and and stuff like that um like or or, and then the other part of that being like uh being like trying to trying to emulate this person and what they are what they are putting out into the world and then finding out that oh actually they're a bad human being and i feel gross for having looked up to them like um you know i mean we see that with a lot of uh heroes being people's heroes being revealed that to have stolen huge amounts of art from other people or yeah. Yeah. or stolen ideas or been sexual predators is probably the biggest one we see in the media at the moment. Like, uh, I have lots of friends that were like heartbroken over the what well, I can't even remember his name. The dude from Polygon who t- turned out to be garbage. Nick Robinson. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. That garbage monster. He is a garbage monster. Um, like I know so many people that were that that were so conflicted about that and felt so guilty for having enjoyed his content. Um, I I can speak to this so personally. I tried the other day to rewatch Carboys, their series with beam.drive.ng or whatever. Yeah, I've and watched it some is of that. Poison. I can't like he's just just uh the first YouTube comment I saw when I scrolled down on the first episode was isn't it wonderful Griffin made this on his own with nobody else? Uh and and that's like that's a beautiful image and I wish I could like feign ignorance in watching it, but it, yeah, I, I remember. Know. I remember. I often put on YouTube videos and fall asleep to them, um, and then autoplay will bring up other stuff. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and it was playing a um, a Polygon video, an awful squad video, and Nick was in it. I was oh, like, oh, my. where's my mouse fumbling around in the dark for my wireless mouse? Wow. <laughs> like, no, where is? It? I gotta, I gotta change it quick. I need some, I need some new retro wave. I need to put on some music. Oh, that's Please. such an experience. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Wonderful. Um, I mean, I mean, speaking to that, are there people that you that inspire you? Um, in particular. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask if there are people I want to call out for horrible behavior. I mean, we could go that route. I I feel like 
I try to, I feel like there's a lot of negativity in this world. And so I try to stay positive here on my show. This came from when the first few episodes of Quest Markers were just me complaining about horrible people in the oh, RPG goodness. industry and how I wish they would go away. Uh, then, we, then we made the decision, no, let's, let's focus on the good parts. And I'll just yell about the bad parts on Twitter. <laughs> Um, so people I, I look up to, that's a, that's a really great question. Uh, I, I look up to very much, um, Haley Gordon, D. Hendro, the story brewers. Uh, I think they're, they're not only a collectively wonderful pair of people, but they're also collectively wonderful designers. Um, and I, I look up to them because they, um, a good society was them expressing something they loved and it became successful because it was good and because uh, the market found it. And I, I think that the fact that they didn't start with, we want to make a product that will sell, therefore we're going to do a PBTA game about blah, blah, blah. Rather they, um, like, you know, PBTA game about zombies or whatever, which, which will always fly off the shelves. But uh, rather they said, this is something we care about and they were rewarded for that. And that, that inspires me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely have... I I met uh, Vian Haley a while ago at a convention, and we didn't really I didn't really understand who they were, and they didn't really understand who I was until um, Alas for the Awful Scene came out, and I arranged an interview. and And um, I always I often feel like I've always often feel impressed by the games they put out, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't really think that these Thank games God. are for me necessarily. But I'm always like, this game is good. And it is well made, and like these things work really well. I don't really, I don't really. It, it doesn't quite click for me. Although Good Society more so than uh, than Alas for the Awful Sea really did click. Um, but I'm always like so so interested to see them and talk to them um, because I always come away with some new like thing. And like I've never hung out with them and been like, oh boy, I really fucked up. And and <laughs> and that was a bad that was a bad time. I've I like not not because I don't know. I often get out anxious that when I'm talking to someone, I'm going to say something stupid, which comes from having ADHD. Um, you often say things that are stupid, hmm. um, uh, and so you work pretty hard to try and control that. And sometimes you have to devote all of your effort in a space to not saying anything um Mm -hmm. just to avoid saying the wrong thing which i don't know if that's what it's like for people that don't have adhd it might be but that has been my experience of adhd learning to not talk um is difficult um and i think is a worthwhile skill um but yeah i just hate me and Haley are just so wonderful um and really wonderful people to have as friends not just necessarily as like colleagues uh, oh absolutely absolutely there are they're, they're excellent company and that the company can shift between uh let's yeah, talk about you know how we're feeling today uh, through to let's talk about a game with smooches in it uh that we want to play can be just a wonderful they, they also they exist in a very similar design space that I exist in, and one that you exist in as well, um, if I may be so bold as to put that on you, uh, which is um, intimacy and and games about, like, um, people with feelings. Yeah, indeed. Like, 100%. um, And they approach that differently to the way I do. A lot of the feelings that I want to explore are, like, 
angry feelings or like the lovely feelings that come out of angry places. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not a hundred percent. Like my game, Erosia is not like that, but my game, although I would say that Erosia is very much about dirty emotions that people don't often feel comfortable exploring, but that they shouldn't feel uncomfortable exploring, but we live in a sexually repressive society. Um, but, uh, other games that I've that I'm working on are about like not darker but emotions that come from dark places. Like for example, my game Live Love Die is about the love, whether that is romantic or otherwise, uh, uh, that forms on the battlefield between two between a pilot and the and the sentient war machine that they are that they take into battle mm-hmm. um like that game originally started as a lasers and feelings hack um that was about do you do do you go all in on hatred or do you go all in on love um to try and overcome things and then i was like no i want this to be a little more serious and i want this to be like a little heavier and so like we moved to i moved it to a powered by the apocalypse um thing with a few design influences from other places um, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of blades in the dark in there, and there's a little well forged in the dark, and there's a little bit of um, fate, and there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of red markets in there, not a whole bunch, but a tiny amount, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and you know like I mean everything everything is inf- everything you make is influenced by every other thing you've ever experienced, um, which is why copyright is a thing that i have strong feelings about so interestingly this is why i use developer and not designer because i feel like designers uh construct and and like create and developers uh put pieces together and i feel like i'm very much a put pieces together person rather than a uh design things person well, so before I made role-playing games, and even before I was a podcaster, I described myself as a maker because I always I knew that my life would always involve making things. And like maker was a term that I learned from Adam Savage, which is he didn't coin it; it's just a term that I learned from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's another person that I that I draw inspiration from, less so in. Um, more recent years because I've been drawing more inspiration from my specific field of late and have had less of a need to go to Adam for inspiration. Um, but Adam Savage in particular was really helpful for me um, in realizing like, um, I mean, understanding the importance of like drawing information from multiple sources and things like that. And and I guess taking the importance of inter, what is the word? Interdisciplinary knowledge is a thing that I hold very dear, both from um, both from as an idea that I was exposed to through the very small amount of martial arts I did, but also the idea uh, exposed to through Adam Savage. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, uh, maker has always been a thing that I have been that I have described as myself as for a very long time. Um, I make things, um, mm. and now I know how to sew, so like I make clothes i can now cut my own hair so that's a thing i do not great at it uh but i do okay for the most part i uh i am about to go in for my 12 month uh overhaul haircut Ooh, uh, exciting! it's like okay so i've been doing okay i need you to just fix stuff up a little there's some sections that need attention <laughs> 
that I don't know how to do yet. Um, so yeah, look, one, I'm always making things. One of the things that comes with being interdisciplinary, one of the things that comes with learning a new skill all the time, which it sounds like uh, you you make a priority in your life. I mean, is... I could do it more. <laughs> I, I could be a better person. I feel that at a very visceral level. Yeah. Um, one of the, the things that, that can come from always learning a new skill is that you're always failing at something. You're always mm. you're always pushing through that that really early pain of I don't know what I'm doing. How do you keep yourself moving forward in those stages? So I mean I have training as an actor, um, which is uh which is I feel like it's worthwhile mentioning. I can't pinpoint why it's worthwhile mentioning now, but it is a thing that definitely has probably tainted Tainted? No. Tinted this uh, discussion. And so I, that, the very small amount of martial arts training I have received, and um, and I don't know if this was Adam or someone else. Uh, it might be someone else. Um, but uh, I have had three moments in my life where I have been exposed to failure. Um, almost like, almost like, is it exposure therapy? Yeah, exposure therapy, where it's like, oh, here, have a small dose of the thing that you were terrified of, and we'll slowly get past it. Um, and so, I, like, I've had three moments in my life that have helped me deal with that. First one, acting. Always fucking nervous. All the time you are nervous when you're, like, getting ready to go on the stage. And then I didn't really think about... I don't know when this changed, but I thought about it um, recently... Um, when a partner was talking about like getting, still getting stage fright and like butterflies in their stomach and affecting their singing before they go and perform. Um, and I, and I was like, yeah, I get that for like 30 seconds now. You tell me that I have to do like some public speaking or whatever. And like for about 30 seconds, I'm like, Oh, what am I going to do? I'm like, I'm just going to do the same thing I do all the time when I need to talk in front of people. It's just going to be more people. Um, other part is like very self-conscious about how I looked while I was doing the very small amount of martial arts training I did. And by the end of the six months or so that I was doing it intensely for, I, I, uh, I realized that I no longer, for the most part, I didn't really care when people were watching me when I was doing something. Whereas before, I very much was concerned about, am I going to look weird doing this? Am I going to look stupid doing this? Or just like, oh, I feel like people are paying more attention to me than they should be. And so I just got used to like, it is more important that I do the task than it is that I look stupid doing it. Um, and so uh, that really helped with that. And then the third thing was somebody said to me, I don't remember where I heard this, but somebody said, um, people often forget when they are learning a new skill that uh, forget all the failure that is involved in that. And it's a particular problem for adults. Adults don't remember all the times they sucked at stuff when they were learning growing up. They only remember that they did, they learned this thing and it was fun. Um, now, I don't actually think that that is necessarily universally true, um, but as a statement, it was useful for me to uh, to give myself permission to fail at stuff. And it's not really a thing I actively do anymore, but like, I don't have to actively say, all right, it's okay that you're going to suck at this. I just, like, when so when, when I do bad, it's like, yeah, whatever, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to learn to do that thing better. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Is that is that kind of what you were looking for? 
it, it kind of is and it kind of isn't. It is because okay. that, that sounds so wonderfully effective. Uh, and it also isn't because it, I like it, that feels almost unachievable for me. That level of, of comfort that you have in your own field. I don't even have that comfort in my successes. I'm like, look, I, mean, I, I still get doubts about, um, I still get self doubt about like, I mean, okay. So the other day everyone was talking, this is, this will be known to Sid may not be known to our listeners. The other day, Everybody in RPG Twitter was talking about like pricing models and how much work everybody was putting in to get like games put out and stuff like that. And I spent that entire day trying to work on my mecha RPG, Live, Love, Die. I had like two paragraphs on it that I had in my head that I needed to put to paper. I spent 12 hours trying to get those two paragraphs on paper because I either kept seeing things on Twitter that I needed to read because I felt like if I don't read these, I'm not going to be like up to date and like, I'm not going to be sufficiently informed. Um, And also I kept worrying, wow, everybody's putting in all this work. And I, and I felt like I was that I would never be able to put in the level of effort that these people were putting into their games. And I often feel this, um, actually. And normally, after a day or two, I come around to, no, remember how, like, your entire worldview doesn't doesn't depend on how worth- <laughs> useful you are in comparison to other people? You got, I, I got to remind myself of that. And I, I, I get a little bit of that from, like, certain socialist um, ideas, which is the idea, uh, in particular... Um, uh, I can't remember the exact wording. Uh, everyone, uh, everybody working towards the community in the way they can and with the amount of effort and the amount of time that they are capable of. Like, uh, everyone contributing in their way. Um, and like, and you also see this with like mental health stuff. People often, people often g- grief jockeying and being like, oh, my grief is, and my horrible situation is more horrible than yours and stuff. And like that all boils down to just because your day is hard or just because you have to do, you can do all this more work or whatever. That doesn't mean that this other person's hard day was not hard or that their work is not work. Like I cannot. Do the level of dedicate. I cannot dedicate the amount of tireless. Well, not tireless. The amount of energy that others are dedicating to their RPG projects, um, just because I I don't have those those same reserves. And so that's a thing that I often have to remind myself of. Um, I am working as hard as I can on my projects, and that is okay. Um, now there's a lot of like, there's a lot of privilege that makes it possible for me to adopt that. Um, but I definitely still have like in, uh, financial stresses and things. Um, but I totally, I totally understand that thing that you were just talking about with the, this is so weird. I'm not used to talking this much on my own show. I'm so thoroughly interested by everything you're saying. It's amazing. <laughs> this is so strange. This didn't work out <laughs> how I thought it would at all. Um, yes. Okay. Well, let, let me, let me direct a really interesting question here. Yeah, direct. I, I, I don't. Um, Desperately direct. I'm, I, 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 I have always lived within the capitalist structure and it's, you know, it's part yeah, of my, my privileges are, um, you know, 
uh, upper middle class white guy who but prior to this I was I was in the military and so like I've never um, yeah, I'm more of a lower middle class white guy. Yeah, I've I have uh, I say through gritted teeth I have benefited from the capitalist system. Um, yeah, I don't so, think it's wrong to have benefited from the capitalist system. It's no, just, it's just. There's there's some shame, but we'll, we'll we look. Yeah, RPGs anyway. really are like socialist uh, the utopia. The the uh, indie RPG scene is very um, collective and very and has a lot of people that um, lean very uh, what do you call it economically left. Economic left holds, I think, as a describer. That's a good term for it. Um, which, which is 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 fine, and and it's um, it's and great. We've got some pretty that. weird economic left as well. Like, I mean, within that bubble, you have communists, socialists, uh, and libertarians generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a fan of libertarians. I don't care how good their role playing game is. I don't care how fun the word is to say. Libertarian. Yeah, I saw it come from someone describing their their company's uh, ethos recently. They're like, we're we're like anti-fascist and 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 support. It wasn't liberty, but it was a word that was somewhere between libertarian and liberty. And I was like, I can't tell if you if oh, you're trying funny. to say we support personal liberty, or you're trying to tell me that you support libertarian ideals. And so I'm not going to like this tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish there was a button I could push that would tell you I've seen it, but I will not like it. Yeah, red at. Uh, I, yeah, leave your tweet on red. That is that is absolutely brutal. How do you, yeah, uh, sorry. Continue. Uh, what was going? Oh, so here's here's the question: Is mm. that um, I I promised you, and I intend to make good on this promise. Now that I'm sitting in front of a computer, I will absolutely do it before we finish up. Oh, okay, um, so yeah. I have promised to pay you uh, for. Your business card, LARP. Arisha, you which bought me a beer, though. I did buy your beer, but I and I and I love trade. But I will, I will make good on this promise that I've made. Um, the question I want to ask you is: how how would you like me as the customer to value your product? That, I, that this thing that I hold in my hand, I, li- I literally hold in my hand right now, um, yeah. in beautiful red typeface. How would you like me to value that? And I don't mean give me a number. Um, you can do that off here if you'd like. But what I mean is, um, what decisions would you like me to make? Yeah. Look, I mean, ultimately, I'm very, I'm very pro ephemeral things, um, mostly because I deeply crave immortality and deeply understand that I'm unlikely to see it in my lifetime. Um, but the reason I crave immortality is because I know that I'm never going to get bored with life. Um, I don't think that that is necessarily true for everyone, but I am confident that I will never suffer from immortality blues. I will always find some new thing to be excited by um, because things are always changing. And a big part of my own life is letting myself be okay with change. I uh, I hold within my personal identity that um, I I am in the current moment a gift from every previous moment of myself um, because the me from a second ago is fundamentally different from the me who is about to finish this sentence. Um, I hold that to be true. Uh, others do not. Um, which is fine. Um, and so uh, I am not, uh, I'm not a person, I'm more a collection of ideas, right? And so what I want you to value of the game is one, how it makes you feel, 
Two, I, I want it to be a thing you can take with you, and I want you to play it and use it. And I want you to play it and use it in the way that you think it is meant to be played, not in the way that you think I think it is meant to be played. Okay, uh, we're drilling into this, because I, I did have this on my notes as something I want to talk to you about. My game is intentionally partially vague. Wonderful. Like, I put Wonderful. enough information into it to guide you and... That's really all it is. And I mean, when we first wrote, when I first wrote Erotia, it was not described as a freeform LARP. It was just described as a micro LARP. And then I realized, no, actually, it is a freeform LARP because the only mechanics in it really are set up and how it ends. There's no rolling, there's no specific actions. Like you only have it, it, it's really a, it's not even a framing device, it's a prompt. It's a it's a prompt and a request. Um, in terms of value, though, I don't know. I just I want it to I want it to mean something to you. And I I mean we weren't specifically talking about like monetary value, but I do want to touch on it because like the reason the reason my game uh, is pay what you want, and the reason that probably most of the games I will produce in the foreseeable future will be pay what you want is because i am very pro piracy i am very uh and i am also very pro supporting artists for their content and so the whole point of getting erosia out on itch was so that if people wanted a way to give me money but didn't feel comfortable just giving me money and didn't feel like the Patreon was going to work for them because lots of people don't understand that while you do do it for a month, you can do it for just that month. So it ends up just being one donation. Um, Arosha is like that too. Uh, it is a way for you to give me money and you get something in return. So it is, it's not really, it's not really, it's not really meant to be a purchase. It's meant to be a way for you to trick your capitalist brainwashing. I'm not giving this person money. I'm buying a thing from them and I'm going to buy it for a hundred dollars or I'm going to buy it for a dollar. Like it is a way for you to, it is a way for you to give money to me without feeling guilty or, or to alleviate some of your guilt about wanting to help me out. It is a way to help me out and it's hopefully going to hack your capitalist guilt receptors. Do you think that relationships are inherently transactional? Ooh, ooh, ooh! I don't know. Do you? Well, your game certainly does, and that's mm, that's where yeah. I'm here. Because actually, that's a very good point. So you you are I am worshipped with uh, one thing, and I offer another thing in return. Yes. So I never thought about that language until just now, but that is the the worshipped and offer statement are not meant to be. I did not initially intend them as transactional. I intended them to be evocative of ways gods might talk about their turn-ons, because I feel like all of a lot of the language in Erosia, some of it can actually be simplified even further than it already is. um, But that does not adequately in my mind conjure the feeling of this is a game for gods about gods um and so worshipped and offer within erosia are, are, are aspects of building your god so you say my name is blank i my 
I am blank the blank. I'm Zeus the powerful, whatever. Um, my domain is thunder for Zeus. Uh, and I am worshipped with. That is the function of that within the game design. And we talk about this in the itch version of the game is this is where you say how people can do, can, can flirt with you. And then your, and, and I offer blank in return is, and if I enjoy what you're doing, something that I might do is this. Um, it's really just, it's there to be a general guide. It's a way to tell others what you would like to be done to you within the play space um, and what they can expect as a reaction. For example, if you are Zeus and you have, I am worshipped with submission and offer domination in return, if I'm not into being dominated, I'm probably not going to enjoy that reaction. And so I might decide to avoid Zeus uh, because that's not really my speed. I'm happy for that to be happening in the same place, the space that I'm in. And I very much enjoy watching other people be dominated, but I'm not interested in being the subject. So I might go and talk to Ray, the God of weeds, um, who, uh, is worshiped with praise and offers neck kisses in return. Um, because I would like to have my neck kissed and I very much would like to praise them because they look cute. And and I, I love that. It still creates an expectation, right? That if I give you praise, yeah. I can expect ne- And if I want neck kisses, then my outlet to do that is to give you praise. It doesn't... I The, the, the game... Um, no, I definitely agree that your reading of that is correct. Yeah. And it is not an aspect I had thought about. And it's I definitely really think maybe I need to... Uh, I address it a little bit in the itch version. But again... The itch version is not the version that everybody has access to. Some mm-hmm. people have only seen my game on Twitter. Some people have only seen it at PAX when I was giving out the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I'm not going to fall on, well, the itch one says this, yeah, like, because the physical copy that pe- many people have does not. So I think that that is definitely a reading. Um, I think that perhaps the fact that you have to discuss limits before you play would address a little bit of that. I know that for me, I would bring up, I I feel like with the people that I might play this with, I wouldn't need to bring it up. But if for some reason I was running it in a, if someone invited me to an orgy and they were like, Hey Ray, can you run a a Rosha for us at our orgy? I'd be like, Oh God. Okay. That's super weird. But okay. (laughs) Um, Sure. We can do that. Then one of the things I would definitely talk about is like, is the fact that yes. So this says, I even though it says I I might enjoy this thing, you should still proceed with consent. And it does say this in the in the itch version of the game, but again, it doesn't say that. So it would be uh, I I, there is the bit in the itch version that says uh, proceed. I think it says proceed with um, courtesy. 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 Yeah. Mm. Um, Which is and then the example is. It's like just because somebody says they like neck kisses doesn't mean you can just walk up to them and start kissing their neck. Yes. Like, uh, um, even even if that might be representative of of certain myth, that's not okay within this space because remember in myth, uh, normally when those situations happen, it's a god versus a mortal. You're gods versus gods, and in an original draft of this game, when it was much much larger, there was a line that said. Um, I expect, 
uh, that if anyone violates the like safety tools within your game, that all of the other gods will see them struck down. Um, there, I think there was uh, another version of that where it said like, um, uh, if you vi- if you violate the rules of Erosia, then Eros uh, Eros will see you dead. Um, and I ever I decided that that was an aggressive tone that I didn't want in my game. And that um, hopefully the safety tools aspect and the and the and the talking about your boundaries would prevent those situations. But it's a thing that I'm often worried about is that there's a lot of creepy people that use BDSM to do bad stuff. Yeah, you, you're not. You can't solve the problem by creating rule structures, though, yeah. right? Like in terms of, like they're going to violate rules anyway. Exactly. I will kill your character if you do that. Like that's. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to deal with a person and with with yeah. the table level consent or the or the lap level consent. Yeah. And that's why I put like the the rule in there that when the safe word is invoked, it doesn't just stop for the people that are necessarily involved in the direct reason that the safe word was involved yeah. invoked. It stops for everyone playing the game because one, it's not fun to it's not f- fun to when when you need a game to stop and everyone keeps playing. Yes. Uh, and and two, you can't you can't. You you can't really be sure why somebody used the safe word, so it might be the entire scene. Um, but also, you need to you need to offer adequate aftercare to that person when they use the safe word, and that's why the entire game stops when anyone uses the safe word. And maybe you'll have a discussion, you'll reassess boundaries, and you'll go back into it. Maybe that person will decide the game's not for them, and and they'll want to head home, or maybe you'll all realize that the game is perhaps best for a another day like mm-hmm. i'm not quite sure what the aftercare will look like after the safe word is used but that's not the role of the game that's, that's the, role the role of the, of the players game. yeah exactly that's the role of the players to find out yeah I, I i honestly think that perhaps the most exciting part of the game is the is the the having a discussion beforehand um i think that that's perhaps the more useful part of the game too from a design perspective like that's going to be more useful to people um useful sorry useful yeah, I guess in that context, I'm talking about like, I don't know, lots of games for me, because I'm a game designer, end up being things that I have because they teach me some new design aspect. Or like lots of games that I play, I play because, or, or the or, of, re, of late, the games that I find the most interesting are the games that I come away with where I'm completely rethinking aspects of my own design process um like i played a game at pax which i actually thought was not a great game but not because of any i did not enjoy the game but that was not a reflection on the game's design that was just like oh wait hang on these themes i'm not into them but i came away with like a perfect way to rebuild something that was not working in live love die Um, now was that my rpg about love in a coin laundry no, it was a different game. Um, okay. I'm not really... Because I am talking about how I did not enjoy Oh, no, no, no. I just I'm wanted not, to see I'm, if it was... I'm not yeah. willing to name what that game was, but of course. I would love to hear you talk about what the inspiration was for your for the game you just mentioned, and probably worth mentioning a little bit more about it. All right, let's... Because uh, let's... I've been talking for like 40 minutes, and we're... <laughs> I think this is going to be a longer interview. I've learned so much, though. I'm thoroughly enjoy. I, I really enjoy your company as as a person. You are. I'm wondering. Time with. I'm wondering if we should keep recording, and I should split this into a two parter. Well, let's find out. All right. Well, for well, actually, I think we should make that call now because we are coming up on time. Okay, I'm more than happy to to go Shall for a two parter. 
Okay. All right. Wonderful. Well, if if you're listening to this, um, if you're listening to this in the future, and and both episodes are, are presented here back to back, then in, then I will see you, we'll see you in side B, um, but uh, or side two. Please flip the cassette. Uh, but uh, I will trust future Raymond to have a fantastic outro for you all. So please enjoy that, and we'll be back in a moment. Actually, past Ray, we decided rather than do two episodes, we'd just split this into an Act 1 and an Act 2. So, if you don't feel like listening to Act 2 right now, please take this moment to pause the recording and come back at your leisure. Otherwise, please enjoy this quick message from our sponsors. Thank you for listening to Insert Quest Here. We'd like to take a moment to talk to you about safe words. You might wish to stop listening to this episode. Take a break. Take five. Take a moment for yourself and reflect. And that's why we have a pause button. At other times, too, you might also need to take a moment. When watching a scary movie with your friends, after a character has died in your favorite game, or when things get a little too hot or a little too heavy with your sweetie. Consider in those moments, Sydney, safe words. Oh, safe words. Are they code words, signals, or phrases that are used to indicate a participant needs an activity to stop? Yes. My safe word is stack a Pentecost. So remember, safe words. And now we return to your scheduled listening. Welcome back to Act 2. We're back with Sid. And we're going to continue our weird discussion, I guess. So I want to, I, I would really love for you to tell us about uh, your, I've forgotten the name of the game now, even though we were just talking about it a second ago. The name of the game is Tumbling. Tumbling. I would love for you to tell us more about Tumbling, um, which is a, uh, a game that I played at PAX Australia. Um, in particular... I'd love for you to tell us about what your experiences were with playtesting it at PAX, because I know that you had some feelings. Yes, I did. I always have feelings. I I am three feelings in a human suit. Look, we're pro-feelings here, and I don't care who knows. Oh, I'm so glad. I feel safe. I feel like this is a safe space to have feelings, um, which I say without a hint of irony. That's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, indeed. We don't do we don't do safe space jokes here. That no, no, no. I sincere. Absolutely. Damn it! Even when you say that, it sounds insincere. God damn it! <laughs> Maybe we should there's, try and be as insincere as possible. There's no here. way to say I'm a hundred percent sincere without sounding a hundred percent insincere. It's so. <laughs> It's so unfortunate, but please tell us about Tumbling. Uh, So Tumbling is uh, a game about two people who meet each other in a coin laundry, in a laundromat, uh, as they go to do their own washing. And it's about whether the initial attraction they have with each other can blossom into a, a relationship or about whether they just have different needs and they can't. They can't engage with each other. Um, it was. It's two things. It's a product and it's and it's a process. Uh, as as a product, it's a two player about an hour game played with a deck of cards and a couple of tokens on a sheet, um, which uh, I, is you know all available uh, online, and I'll have links for that. Um, 
the it is also a process in that uh, as part of my RPG design vlog, I came home after being at the coin laundry one day and I sat down and said to the two people, three people that were online at the time, in the next hour, we're going to design a game. And we did. And it was functional at the end of that hour, which I thought was really a, a real joy. Nice. Um, so you asked me about my playtesting at PAX. That's a really interesting question. Um, yeah. So there were there were two different experiences I had in playtesting at PAX. The first was that um, Haley and V got to play through a scene, and that was torturous because uh, I care a lot about their opinions and I was horrified and I could see how the game wasn't working for them and I could see how it was and I just hoped at the end that they thought I was still clever and they wanted to be friends with me Uh, and then my second experience was you and Melody playing it and that was torturous because I didn't know you and I saw how it was working for you and how it wasn't and I was worried that at the end of it you wouldn't want to be friends with me and that was 100% not the outcome that was not the outcome that was that was particularly memorable for me because that was the first time I'd met Melody. Oh wow! So we'd had a f- we'd had we we talked on an interview before and we uh, collaborated on another project briefly and uh, and we talked a few minutes before when they spotted me when she spotted me rather. Um, but that was the first like activity to quote to paraphrase Avatar: The Last Airbender. I think it's a really interesting game to approach for people who haven't met each other or who have limited. Mm. understanding of each other because the way that it works um, for people who are familiar with Swords Without Master is that you have a deck of cards and you you have the, the top card of your deck are your needs at the time. And if you have a red card, you need for intimacy and closeness and for uh, engaging with another person and then all the, all the bad things from that, like the obligations that that brings. Right. And if you have a black card, what you need is time to yourself and, and, you know, your own personal bubble and all the negatives that come with that, like coldness and rejecting other people. And the way the game plays is if you both have have red cards, you grow closer together. If you both have black cards, you grow further apart. And then in the end, there's a beautiful epilogue phase that's been put into it now, which allows you to um, make actions towards each other and then kind of like ask for consent to continue that action. So um, the way they're phrased, um, I'm quickly pulling it up now. The way they're phrased is um, if you play during, so during the the um, meet cute phase, I guess your characters just role play through. There's no constraints on you. There's no structures except that you're embodying that that feeling, that need for maybe for um, mutual support or maybe for uh, a bit of distance. And we talked uh, about the fact that the game takes place in a laundry, right? We already mentioned uh, that. I so I um. I live in Brunswick in Melbourne, which is a very hipster area, and I don't have a washing machine. And so I go down to a coin laundry and I do a lot of my design work there. And uh, I saw a couple who sort of knew each other but didn't know each other and were really just comfortable, like, making eye contact every once in a while but being very distant. (laughs) And that's the experience that I really wanted to, like, engage in. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if we talked about that aspect. of what. And that's that's why it's called tumbling. It loops back to... It was either that or it was going to be called, like, Delicate Cycle or something, but I don't know. So I like tumbling at the moment. Can I actually share a revelation that I had about my own work related to yours recently? I would love... I would feel very special if I had that, yeah. So the other night, I was I was hammering up against this wall trying to get a rough draft version of uh, Live, Love, Die's character sheet to work. Um, because in Live, Love, Die, you role play as your pilot and you role play as someone else's mech. 
um, sort of, um, I, I describe that aspect as being like the angels and the demons in better angels. Yep. Um, apparently the old water darkness game Wraith had a similar mechanic. Um, so, uh, with, but but the pilot still makes a lot of the decisions and tracks a lot of the damage for the mech, like for the physical aspect of the mech, but not the character of the mech. So like the 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 the, the pilot is be, gets to decide what what equipment is installed on the mech, uh, and and within play that should be established by if you have a if you have a mech that cares a lot about what equipment it has, then it should be making its needs known so it's like oh i want to put a rocket launcher it's like no you only go into malay how dare you try and put a rocket launcher on me it's like okay we will take a rocket launcher i guess whatever um i love that so much but uh but the pilot is managing a lot of the the pilot player is managing a lot of the logistics of the mech and so I kept coming up against this thing where it's like on your pilot sheet, you need your pilot and the mech they pilot. And then you need somewhere to put all the information about the mech you role play as for someone else. Um, and, and I just couldn't find a really good solution for that. And then I remembered one that in turn, which is a game that Bree is making, uh, the character sheet is uh, for your human and your shape and your and the shapeshifter creature that you shapeshift into are two different pieces of paper and you combine them together to build a character sheet. Uh, and then I also remembered that in Tumbling, your character sheet uh, has sections to be read by the other player opposite you um, because... Like, it's information you're tracking, but it needs to be presented to them. And so I realized that in Live, Love, Die, the character sheet doesn't, s- the, the character sheet does not sit in front of you. It sits between you and the other player. Um, I'd always had. I'd always had this plan for it to be the player to your left or the player to your right. And then I'm like, no, it definitely needs to be that because you need your pilot character sheet right next to you. And you need to be able to both you and the other pilot need to be able to refer to the mech stuff. Uh, and you need to be able to see the mech stuff for both machines at the same time. Like you need to be able to see the mech you're piloting and also the mech you are. And so that's that's where I got to. Uh, that was the elegant solution, and I was so annoyed that it took me three versions of the character sheet to work that out. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that elegance has, in, in the way that we describe it, and, and I certainly use elegant to describe a lot of designs that I want to be like, I think we fool ourselves into thinking that just because something is elegant, it means it's simple, or just because something is simple, it means it's easy, and neither yeah, of those are true. That's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing that I sometimes talk about, um, and other people have talked about it better and can explain the concept um, with more nuance, and that is that language is made up and we are always just doing our best to be understood, and that, yeah, elegance, like, elegant as a descriptor kind of fits in there, but in order to fully describe what you mean, you need to spend like an extra like twenty minutes 
Like, does that make sense? Yeah, that really does. Like, uh, all of yeah. language is just trying to compress concepts down into the most easel, easily transmittable version of themselves, mm-hmm. um, which in- inevitably means aspects of it get lost. So, if like, you want to deep dive, to use your term, you have to devote that time. Um, yes. And yeah, like, I mean, there are probably the other more elegant solution to, um, the other solution to that was going to be that uh, the the mechs track the mech damage. So the mech, uh, the person role-playing as your mech tracks the mech damage and tracks the modules and gets to decide what is installed. And then I'm like, but that's not very representative of what the experience within the fiction is like of being a mech pilot. Like your mech, your mech might say, no, I don't want that cannon. But ultimately within the, the genre, it always falls to the pilot. The pilot always has the option of saying, no, you're totally right. And I want you to be comfortable, comfortable or, well, I understand why you feel that way, but if we don't take this, we're going to die. So we're going to take this weapon, and we can jettison it as soon as possible, but we're going to take this weapon. Okay, how do you... Um how do you safely build a system where one player is going to... So I totally understand it from a fictional perspective and, and within the genre, but how do you build a system where one player is going to enforce their will upon another player by, by like, virtue of their power structure of being the pilot? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I talk about... I think the main way that I plan to deal with that is through the agendas, um, so the pilot agendas, yeah, the mech agendas, and the and tactical, which is the GM term, agendas are, uh, I think, really important aspects of play for Live, Love, Die. Um, in particular, like that particular example, right, about the equipment and stuff and the pilot being able to say, no, we can't do that, or no, I don't want to do that. Um, the pilot has the agenda to help their AI or their mech, um, uh, like find themselves and def- and and teach and teach them what being a person is. Um, and the the mech has won the goal, uh, won the agenda of help the pilot achieve their goals, but also has make your needs known to the pilot. So. I I definitely consider those agendas rules within the game. Um, yes. And I think I will need to put a bit more emphasis on them um, than perhaps other Powered by the Apocalypse games have done. Um, often agendas are like, have fun, tell gritty stories or whatever. It's like, well, no, you are playing two characters that are inextricably bound together even more intimately than other games in this genre and other games of this type and also it is a game about intimacy and connection and our game my game also assumes that everyone at the table wants to strengthen the bond with their machine there's no like your bond there's no you you have a thing a resource called synergy there's no way for your synergy to be decreased except by like 
it reaching maximum, you getting a bunch of bonuses for your relationship being so strong, and then it resets to zero when you build it back up again. Like, it, that doesn't represent, oh, our relationship's so good, and then, oh, now it's shit. It's like, no, our relationship has reached a new level, and now we've got to work to reach the new level again. Like, that new part. We're constantly, like, chasing after the deepening of our bond. And, like, every time we deepen that bond, we understand each other better. And I get a plus one to my stat. Mm. Or, or like, a, a, some other uh, aspect. Like, um, a bunch of them are attribute increases and a bunch of other ones are, like, yeah, change the narrative. Um, but, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about safety tools. I love talking about safety tools. I Damn feel like... I feel like perhaps your opinions on safety tools are going to be a little bit more developed than mine. And um, so oh, I'm interested mm, I'm interested in what safety tools did you consider for tumbling? Um, so, okay, th- this, this is an interesting thing, something I've come up across as a designer that I, I haven't decided on yet mm-hmm. as a developer, Look, as a designer. That's cool. Yeah, um, as, a, as a D. As a D. Uh, it's just, just a huge D. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> vitamin D would be my uh, MC name if I was a rapper. Um, oh, mathematically. So... Uh, Boy, I'm I'm so glad we can cut that in post. Um, so I'm so glad I'm not gonna, unless you explicitly <laughs> asked me to. No, I would use a safety tool if I needed to. So let's talk about safety tools. Yeah. So um, I th- I think that safety tools are really about uh, are very much about table culture, and I think that it's rare that games. So when I talk, okay, let's let's be clear on definitions. When I talk about safety tools, I'm talking about external tools like uh, safe words, X cards. Um, uh, breeze, uh, script change, um, lines and veils, uh, wills, won'ts, wants, uh, and then debrief uh, tools are also a part of that as well. Um, and stars I, I and wishes, roses and thorns. I I recently saw somebody talking about like problems they've had with lines and veils and X cards, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and why those tools don't work for them. And that's because I think lots of people have taken those tools on board and excluded the most important part of why those tools work. Which and is? that and that is that before we begin our campaign or our session or whatever, we talk about and this is a thing that is in Arosha, we talk about what we are comfortable with and what we want to see in the game, and we also leave space to talk about what we don't want to see. So I always mention this in every game that I play, no matter what the genre is, because you never know. Um, I always mention that I do not want to deal with issues of sexual assault within my game. I don't. I don't want that to be like a character's backstory. I don't want it to even be hinted at as a possibility. And I've definitely fa- I've definitely included that in games in the past and even in games on our show. Um, but as I, I have so grown older, it has become a thing that I increasingly cannot stand in media. Um, it came up in a book recently uh, and I was just like, Ugh, nah, gotta put this down. Like, yeah. And that's, uh, it's, it's fine for them to change. I have a group of people I play with very regularly, the Gauntlet ASPAC crew, Australia Pacific ASPAC. They're an amazing group of people. I could tell you by heart every one of their lines, veils, and uh, everything they do and don't want to see in games, but 
at the start of it. And if people go to um, my YouTube page and uh, there'll be links to that and see us play uh, Lady Blackbird or see us play, uh, we're doing Dust Wardens at the moment, they will see at the start of each episode, I still ask the question. I, I still leave space for that because it changes and things get found. Yeah, I have to get better at asking um, about that. I normally ask like when I begin a game, be that, so if, I, if I'm doing a campaign, I normally won't ask it at the beginning of each session. Um, and that's probably a thing that I need to get better at. You should, you should be, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that we need to, as a culture and as a community, be okay with the fact that we collectively are learning and are getting better. It's not, I, I am terrible at script change. I am so bad at it. And I want so terrible, like I, I always, it's not in the forefront of my mind. I don't think to pause enough. I don't think to, to say the words pause or rewind. And I want to, mm. and I'm, I am okay with the fact that, um, as we were talking about with sewing, with martial arts, with acting, mm. you need to be a little bit bad at it first. And that's okay. Because, yeah, okay. uh, what was the line you said? Something about, um, the fact that, like, it is more important that I do this than I yeah, it don't is more look important, stupid. It is more, more important that you do the task than it is that you look stupid. Um, it's partic- a particular motivation for me when I have to wear some particular kind of, like, protective equipment for, an, mm-hmm. for a job. Like, mm-hmm. I often think when I'm doing, like, labouring stuff, I'm like, oh, am I going to look like an idiot for wearing this fluoro wide brim hat? And, like, probably, but I'm also not as likely to get skin cancer as the guy over there in a fucking singlet with no sunscreen on. So, yeah, I'm going to wear the stupid hat and the long sleeves. <laughs> In the middle of summer, and I'm going to reapply sunscreen every, like, fucking two hours because I would much rather look like an idiot than get sunburned. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that um, – so they're, they're some of the safety tools that I have, and I'm not sure if it's, if it's my job as a developer to say this is the safety tool that is appropriate to be used in this game, especially with tumbling. I don't think tumbling is a game that needs a specific safety tool. If X card works for you, use it. If lines and veils works for you, use it. If script change works for you, use it. If, if you don't like safety tools, you're a horrible person. I don't want to play games with you, but you know, you can, you can play it without it. There are things built into it though. And that is um, I've been designing with two words at the moment and I see them as both a safety tool and also as an impeccable bit of, um, of uh, fiction creation. And and those two words, which I I would ask uh, everyone who, has designs to think about for their own other words show me show me does a couple of things uh for me one is that it means that um we're going to be talking about it uh, in fiction rather than just um at a player level discussing it and the other thing is that it gives an offer so um uh, here's here's um some examples uh from tumbling we begin character creation with uh, uh what are you washing what you know? What clothes are you washing in this laundromat that shows us uh, who is important to you? Mm. And um, the the show me. So uh, Ray, you really engaged that when you were asked by Melody to show okay, us uh, what shows us that you're stuck. So, Do you want to speak yeah. to that? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so I mean, I can't remember my exact answers, but I I definitely recall that. Um, I had bought a dress in the lead up to PAX. It's the second dress I'd ever bought. Um, we've talked about before on the 
on quest markers about the fact that I'm gender fluid. I don't know how much we've dealt with that on the show. You've probably noticed that I changed my pronouns a lot at the introduction of, of shows. That's why I do that. I'm gender fluid. Um, and if you see me on Twitter, you know this. Um, but uh, uh, so I'd bought a dress. The second dress I'd bought. First dress I'd bought, it, it felt a little bit short. I was like, oh, it's probably just that dress. Bought the second dress. It was a. It doesn't really matter what the dress was, but I bought it, and I was like, "Yeah, this dress is gonna look so good." And then I got it, and I'm like, "The sleeves are too tight. They're too long," which I expected them to be too long. I didn't expect them to be too tight. It is still too short. And I realized it's not that it was too short; it's that it just felt too short. And so mm-hmm. when I, I ended up not bringing that dress that I'd pretty much especially brought four packs with me two packs because i'm like no i still don't know how to wear it i'm still not sure if i'm ever gonna wear it i am to this day as of november 21st 2018 still not sure what i am going to do with this 20 dollar dress um that i cannot return uh and so I poured a lot of that into my description i remember talking about this dress that i felt like regret over I don't remember what other emotions I poured into it, but I know that that was a thing I was thinking about. And the other thing that I poured into it is that I really like wearing lingerie. Uh, And so I was asked to describe another thing about my laundry. Um, And so uh, I I, I remember describing lingerie um, needing to be cleaned. But I think the dress was the thing about being stuck. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, what shows you that you stuck was the dress. I and that that was so powerful to us because um, when we asked you about like when Melody asked you about the uh, and we got talking about the lingerie, we didn't we didn't just talk about uh, at a meta level. Oh, I I like this or I feel this. Rather, we got this sort of scene of your character in this dingy like basement laundry washing something that that is you know usually very. Um, private and very and very intimate and you were washing it openly and you were talking about how you don't hide that and we see it as the audience and also as we the other patrons of the laundry i guess and it was a i can't remember if i was taking my laundry out of the washing machine or putting it in but i do recall that there was a point within the scene or two that we did where uh melody's character had said something to me and then i'd responded and then i started folding my laundry and i paused for a minute and i sort of like wrinkled and then i turned around and put the uh washing basket positioned differently between us so that i could look at them while i folded my lingerie and that's right yeah sorry i was gonna say because i was attempting to be even more open about that thing and that's the red card, right? That's the my character has needs for connection. And that's what tumbling wants. It wants these little, like, micro symbols between you, these, this subtext between you to be, like, manifest into text. Um, and then the, the other thing that, that happens from a safety perspective um, is that in the epilogue phase, uh, I don't, when, when I want to do things, I can play the suits of the cards, but it's not like I play the I kiss you card. Rather, what happens is I play the card that says, or I fictionally lead up to it, and then I play the, the card that says, I have shown you, I want to kiss yeah. you, show me if I may. And that yeah. is uh, something I stole from Vincent Baker's um, 
the King is Dead. Uh, I, I'm not sure if McGay's credited on that one. I'm sorry if, if she is. I, I actually I do that too often uh, with not knowing the authors of the RPGs I talk about. But um, he has a section in there, at least with, um, uh, it's like a dance, I think. And it's, uh, I want to touch you, may I? And I want to, um, you know, dance with you, may I? And the whole thing ends with may I? And then has a structured response of like, yes, you may, or yes, but only if, or whatever. I removed the structured response, but I left in the fact that by virtue of playing the card, you request consent. You don't demand it. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, there's something that I added to um, Live, Love, Die, and it was actually after... It was something you tweeted, actually. Um, oh. You tweeted some... I think it was a retweet, but I do recall you added something to it and responded to the retweet. But... Um, I saw it, and uh, and then I was like, wow, my game that's about falling in love with mechas sure has a lot of rules about how to fight mechas and not a lot of rules about confessing your emotions. Um, and, oh. like, and, like, so there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of, like, consequences of, like, the actions you take in Live, Love, Die that strengthen your bond. Because, like, I feel like that is represented, representative of... Uh, of media that focuses on like the strong bonds formed in battle. It's not it, it, the strong bonds formed are often like, Oh wow, you saved my life. Or like, Oh wow. That was, that was, that's cool. How we went through that thing together. Um, but I still felt like I needed a bit more. And so like I had previously this mechanic and it's still in there for like, you can have when you, when you are having a conversation and there's no like stakes and there's a, the, the, like, depending on the co- kind of conversation you have, you get, like, a temporary bonus. Um, and there's also a thing where, like, you can, m- when you make your, like, uh, your, your, uh, I believe it is when you, when you, uh, speak your truth or scream your hatred, and there's a third one in the hopes of manipulating someone, then this thing happens. Um, but there wasn't anything for just trying to be honest and get your, uh, get your ideas out there. And so I went and I wrote this move that speaks to a thing that I try to do a lot more in my own personal relationships. Um, and that is that I made a move called, I need you to know. When you cut through the bullshit and reveal your true feelings for someone without expectations or guarantees of reciprocation, add plus one synergy. And then the final line of this move is, love can't bloom in a bed of lies. Um, I'm not sure if I will keep in love can't bloom in a bed of lies. It's very cool. And it speaks to why I needed to write the move, but I'm not sure if it needs to be in there. But um, the the previous part, the the uh that that entire move was inspired by this thing that you shared uh and also like my own experiences with like the first step to moving forward with a relationship no matter if that means no matter what the specifics of that means is to m- have your feelings be known and in my experience those feelings are best received when they are not given as a question um uh so it's not i I love you. Do you love me too? It is, I love you. And I just wanted you to know that. Um, because lots of people get very uncomfortable when you say, I love you because they don't know what you expect of them as a response. So like, I try to make it clear that there is no expected response. 
I just need you to know this thing. It's important to me that you know this thing that I feel, and you don't have to do anything with it. Um, and in fact, it's completely okay to do nothing with it. Um, I don't know if that interfaces with what you were trying to say, but yeah. no, it, it, it does. Uh, I, I, I think that um, inherently we inherently we have a lot of obligation in the systems that we generate for games and also in how we, how we think about love. And it's, and it's really, um, I want to talk to a really specific case, uh, which is that a lot of games will have a move called like negotiate or strike a deal or like figure it out together. And what happens is I roll my charisma and you roll your charisma. And if mine's higher, I win and you lose. And, uh, it's because we systemize games as as like a um, an assertion of will upon the of of character will upon the external environment, and we say that because I roll high, my character gets what they want, yeah. which is uh, it's kind of weird when you start talking about relationships and stuff. So I love that move that says when you do this, you get a thing, and even if you roll or whatever or whatever, it's 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 you sided. Um, yeah, like there's similar things in there's things for like in some other Powered by the Apocalypse games do similar stuff where it's uh, like if you want to manipulate another character, what you do is you say, "Hey, I want you to do this thing. Uh, you do not have to do it. If you do it though, you get this mechanical bonus. I much prefer it though when you get a bonus if you don't do it as well, and they're just different bonuses. I think yes. that is a much better because then there is no incentive for you to do the thing and you, it is just about whether you think it's a good idea. Um, so there's, there's, uh, I've had a very interesting um, situation built around this, which is uh, Monster Hearts 2. There's a move in it um, called Turn Someone On mm. and the move has... Turn Someone On. Turn Someone On. And the move has three results, which is uh, on, a, on a success. They, um, they give you something they think you want they get awkward and act embarrassed or they make a scene and leave or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my apologies to Avery Hadler for not having that, or Avery Older, sorry, for not having that handy. Um, the The issue with it is that um, there's this player level discussion that happens where a player says, uh, I'm trying to make the I turn someone on move. I am trying to turn you on. And the GM turns the other player and says, do you do you want to engage with this? And there is so much obligation in that question. It's like this player is trying to engage with the system. Do you let them? And it's a it's a uh, it's a question that carries a lot of expectation. Even if you as a as a table culture are very good at listening to consent and stuff like that, saying to someone, "Do you want to play the game or not?" is a very loaded question. Mm, yeah, no, 100%. Um, and so, as you said there, I really like ones that are like, that give you a way to engage with the system while not engaging with whatever might, you might feel icky about the move. Yeah, indeed, definitely. Uh, and which, yeah. by the way, it's I need to say this because otherwise it's not fair on, on Avery, um, the design has a really good way of doing that, which it says it's uh, specifically for asexual characters, but I think it works well for everyone. If you don't want to be turned on, it's instead rolling to shut someone down with cold. Oh, sorry, with hot, which, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think is an elegant way to, to it resolve is, it. Yeah, it is. It's a solution. Um, it's, it's a solution. Yeah, I don't. I I I don't. I've not engaged with that solution, so I can't really speak to whether it's good or bad. It doesn't sound bad though. At a, at a first glance, mm. 
So I'm definitely inclined to give it a thumbs up. But yeah. Um, so I'm uh, I'm in this design space at the moment, Ray. I'd love to tell you about if I may. Yes, please. Um, I'm trying to make a game. It was originally a game about. Um, it was a game based on like uh, this war of mine. The the um, computer role playing game where you like are refugees in. I was going to say, is this war of mine the one where you're refugees? Yes. And so it was a game about about being refugees and but it was very much about like the personal relationships that you form uh and then it kind of became about like bonnie and clyde cowboys but now it's moving in a different direction i haven't found what i want the tech to be about but the tech the important bit is that rather than rolling 2d6 for my move instead i do the move and if you're doing it with me we both roll 1d6 and we add them together and it's or it's kind of like we, we roll 1d6 and if we if our dice are the same, then we get the full success. And if our dice are different, it's the seven to nine, but whoever rolled higher gets um, the success and whoever rolled lower gets the with cost. I am, I mostly understand the mechanic that you're describing. I understand it enough to give a ruling. I do not understand it enough <laughs> to like run the game. Um, but yeah, I think I that sounds really cool. That like, that like ah, asymmetrical. I'm currently... I'm currently like really into that, and I think that I'm currently working on a total. I was cur- working on a three-person version of Live, Love, Die, where you have one storyteller and two players, and they have one, and there's two pilots, one mech. Um, it might resemble a movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, the- <laughs> Uh, the movie Two Girls One Cup. It might resemble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but now I am. But now I am thinking maybe maybe this game isn't. Maybe this game is a whole other game. It's not a hack of Live Love Die. It's a it's a completely other game, and it uses that mechanic because God damn, that's cool. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's going places at the moment. Uh, the benefit to it for me is that um, as okay. a, as a player you want to engage with other people. Um, but if they choose not to, if, if they if they decide their character or if they as a player kind of don't want to engage in your move, um, they're allowed to step back and the system yeah. in, uh, incentivizes that and, and encourages them to the version of like interfere is you just don't play their game. Uh, and yeah, it, you don't need a specific rule for interfere. Mm-hmm. You just don't. Although I don't have a rule for interfering in my game because I, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't like Live, Love, Die doesn't have a, aid or interfere it only has an aid because like you one we assume within the game that you are working together two it's a game about working together and forming bonds Mm -hmm. in spite of all the nastiness that surrounds you and three if you want to interfere with them just use one of the other moves like there's a move for putting conditions on other on other people just use that if you want to be mean There is a very good hack of tumbling uh, that's being written already. Someone I playtested with is like, uh, sorry, sorry, I had to hit my cough button. Uh, someone I playtested with uh, decided that that this was something that, that he wanted to work towards. And it's a Pacific Rim style drift game where instead of having feelings in a laundry, you have feelings in the cockpit of a Jaeger. I'm glad that everybody that is currently working on mecha games wants to make a Pacific Rim hack of their mecha game or is just straight up making a Pacific Rim mecha game. Why do you think that is? I think that the drift really speaks 
to one, something that is missing in our lives in the modern world, and that is emotional connection and an emotional understanding uh, of a depth that perhaps many people are missing out on. And also, like, I mean, also unfiltered ability to share is another sub aspect of that. But also, um, it's... It's a really cool way of doing, like, it's a really cool way of having characters interact. I think it's, I think it's kind of why the game Headspace made no sense to me as to why you would make a whole game about that until I watched Sense8 and had my entire life changed by Sense8. And then I'm like, well, fuck yeah, I want to play Headspace now. I just don't care about playing Headspace as, oh, we have cybernetic stuff that makes us share share information. It's like, nah, we're just straight up psychics. Um, like, I think, I think it is a really, it's too much of a depiction of sci-fi isn't about making us better at being emotional. That is an untapped aspect of sci-fi. Or when sci-fi deals with being better at being emotional, what they mean is deadening you to all emotion. Like endocrine control is an upgrade that you can get in eclipse phase. And what does that do? It allows you to turn off your flight or fight response at will. Mm. Um, It's like, yeah, cool. What if I want to increase my emotional response to stuff? It's like, why would you want to do that? It's like, because I want to feel more. It's like, why would you want to feel more? Because all of human experience is feeling stuff, you ding dong. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least that's my personal take on it. Like people talk about, it. I have lots of friends that are like, oh, I'm afraid of my emotions. I'm like, I totally understand why you're afraid of your emotions. Being afraid of your emotions is an emotion. Yeah, there's a there's a really um, interesting uh, bit in Pacific Rim actually, where um, uh, Elba's character, whose name I can't remember, the like the drill sergeant, Stacker Pentecost. Thank you, Pentecost. It's such a good name, Sergeant. It's a very good name. Very yeah, strong. Stacker name. Pentecost. Is his um, name. He is a marshal. You're the best. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I have an encyclopedic knowledge of do. things. Of so, I have approximate knowledge of many things. Um, his his line is, uh, I do not need your sympathy and admiration. I need your compliance and your fighting skills. And then later he makes a comment about like, oh, it might not even be him that says it about, I don't bring anything into the drift. Like, I'm no, better than you. he says that. It's yeah. when he's talking to um, um, the other veteran uh, ranger, which is what the Pacific Rim pilots are called. Mm-hmm. The other ranger... Um, the other veteran ranger can't go, so his son, who is his drift partner, will, and he's pairing up with Stacker. Yeah. And and he says to Stacker, "How are we even gonna be drift compatible, man? You don't know that we're gonna be drift compatible." And Stacker's like, "I don't bring anything into the drift, and your emotional motivations are really simple and easy to understand." Yes. And, and that's the- how I know we're going to work together because I'm incredibly skilled and your emotions are not complex from my, from my, well, not com, not, not complex, but your emotions are not difficult for me to understand. And that is like, that's, that's some bullshit. Like in, in the movie, what makes, what really gives, um, power is that the compatibility of people with emotions right of um is it is it um like raleigh and and mako yes raleigh 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 and 
And, Actually, I, and even, I think I know that the quote unquote Australian actor calls him Rally. I don't know if that's his. Uh, I don't know that is that. I don't know if that's necessarily necessarily the correct pronunciation. But Beckett and Mori, Mako Mori. Yeah, we were also talking about how Striker Eureka is what you would name an Australian mech if you had never ever met an Australian before. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, Striker. Like, that's not what I'm going to call it. Absolutely. I'm going to call it something really... It's going to be called, like, fucking Holden or Commodore. Like, well, actually, no, Holden is a... Holden, Commodore is a Holden. See, I don't know anything about cars. It'd be called... It's, it's going to be called, like... It's going to be called, like, Brock's Revenge or something. Like, <laughs> fucking, <laughs> We're down to our last hope. It's Brock's Revenge. Yeah, uh, I believe I believe Brock is uh, buried deep in my mind. Is the name of a famous Australian race car driver. My dad used to race race cars, so I have a small amount of knowledge about race cars. Oh, that's so perfect. My dad was a sprint car driver. Oh, that's so, amazing. Like, the way I was taught to drive through uh, corners at high speed was to brake slightly and then accelerate through them. You yep. do not slow down for corners. <laughs> it's like, what? I tell that to other people. They're like, that's super dangerous. I'm like, no, it's not. If you understand the way your car moves, it's fine. <laughs> and, and I think that, like, that, 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 that um, element of the stoic... I don't bring anything into the drift is a lot of what we see, not, not just in um, RPGs, but in, sorry, not just in sci-fi, but also broadly in RPGs in that we see people overcoming their emotions to do things rather than seeing it as emotional. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's why I wanted one of the stats in, um, in live, love, die to be emotional to be emotion rather because in Mecca, genre fiction um your emotions are as much what makes you a good pilot as your skill at as your as your personal capacity for violence as your technical knowledge of mech systems that's why those three things are the other stats that you roll with in in live love die it is like how good are you at being like monstrously violent how good are you at at uh, exploiting the technical abilities of your mech. How good are you at harnessing your emotions and using them as like a weapon for good? Like so many mech fights in things are as much two pilots screaming at each other about why each other is like evil or why each other is just as bad as the machine they fight against or whatever. As much as it is about like them clashing with beam sabers as a as a space habitat falls apart around them, the mech's a metaphor. The mech's a metaphor. We put the mech in our mouth. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the 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 mech is like like so me- so much fiction. The external applications of whatever against the environment is just a metaphor for what's going on inside the characters. Um, So we need to talk about Liberté. Are you familiar with Liberté, the RPG? I am not familiar with Liberté. Tell me about Liberté. Liberté. Our last 10 minutes. Oh, my God. Can we do this? So it's a four-part interview. Um, (laughs) So Liberté is a game by a French developer, designer called uh, Vivian Faison. An excellent last name. A gorgeous last name. Now, Vivian is a... I was going to make a joke, not as good as Cox, but... uh, um, yes, my last name is Cox. It's very funny. Moving on. I love it. Um, 
so Vivian's game uh, functions as this: you, you are you are um, children. The metaphor is that you are when children get lost, they go to a single place. It's like you know uh, being washed down the drains in like a storybook sort of thing. It's a Dickensian kind of thing, you know. You're, you're oh, like like how uh, like how in Hook. Yes. And Peter Pan, yes. the carriage yeah. rolls away. My mo- Most of my knowledge about Peter yes. Pan comes from Hook, which is the version of Peter Pan I've seen the most. Same, actually. Uh, I had that on so Laserdisc. It, it does hold up over time. Uh, Laserdisc didn't. Um, so- no, no, it did not. <laughs> we mostly used our Laserdisc player to play CDs, but please. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, the children get washed away. Yeah, or The important they- thing about Liberté is that it's not, well, okay, Liberté is splitting the difference where all of your moves are about the external world. It's about beating up monsters and running away and finding resources and building stuff and all those things that you do in every other Apocalypse game. What makes Liberté worth reading and worth you looking at if you care about emotionality is you don't have stats. Instead, you have a single stat, which is called Black Bile, which is, uh, I think, a product of its French roots, but, um, you know, referring to the feeling of, like, emotional turmoil from the four oh, humors. I was going to say, is it to do with the four humors? It is to do with the four humors. Excellent work. Um, studied medieval, early modern history for like uh, a semester, and were, one of my subjects that I took was about um, was about the role of food in the early oh. modern period, and mm. we talk very. They talk very briefly about um, about. The four humans, there was like one lecture about it. Uh, so the Liberté um, stat, Black Bile, is generated by players choose when to take it. Mm-hmm. They can have between one and five and things go wrong when they have too much and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you choose when you roll to spend some and that gets added to your roll. Wow. Um, the way you get it is because your children, we're talking about this emotionality. So, for example, um, the leader child who is like about having responsibility and stuff takes black bile when I've got too much responsibility for a child or when someone pos- threatens my position in the gang. Oh, boy, that's me. That's me. When I feel rejected or disappointed. And so it's this game where it, it does this beautiful thing where um, much like contempt tokens in Quiet Year, mm. where you're as things are happening in the game, you're sliding these tokens in front of yourself to show your character getting like more and more emotionally hurt. And then when you decide to act, you're like, you push them out and you're like, okay, I'm going to spend three because I care about this. Yeah. Wow. It is. Wow. It is a beautiful way to look at stats. And it's one that I want in so many games. Yeah. Oh God. Maybe I should really rebuild arcane parables. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what that is. You, you need to tell me about it. Arcane Parables, I will be very brief. Arcane Parables is my game uh, that is about... Um, it's a magical morality game. It is about uh, young-ish, somewhere mm-hmm. between mid-teens to early 20s, uh, practitioners of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ascribes to an idea that I think if, sorry, my housemates are having a bit of an argument. Um, it is, it, 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 it espouses an idea that I hold to be the only way to, exp- uh, to, if a magic school was a thing that had to exist, this would be what magic schools would have to be about. And right. that is that you do not need to teach magic users how to do magic. They are naturally inquisitive about how to do magic and will work that out on their own. Uh-huh. You need to teach them some basic safety about magic, and then uh, they need a 
fuckload of moral instruction. Yes. Because the fundamental drama in almost every, like, fiction about a magic school from Harry Potter to Doctor Strange is that a student decided that very easily understood um, moral and philosophical problems could be solved by doing something really, really bad. Like, hmm, perhaps the reason my life is so unfulfilling is because of racism. Uh... Or because I'm not racist enough. Or perhaps the way to deal with all pain and loss is to stop entropy forever. Yep. Uh, yep. And, like, if you taught them a little bit about... If you gave them a little bit of moral instruction, then that maybe wouldn't be a thing. And so, uh, yeah, uh, it is... <laughs> well, Arcane I mean. Parables is a game about magic users that has very little mechanics for casting magic and a lot of mechanics for uh, learning moral lessons, I guess. Like, it is a game where the moral truths you hold to be evident are what you use to roll. Um, Sort of like fate aspects. It's like... Yes, I love um, it. Might is right is my core guiding morality. And it's like, ish, all right. How strong is your conviction in that? Three. It's like, oh, wow, I mean, you certainly believe it to be true. Let's see how that holds up against the challenge at hand. I have a three in Might Makes Right is my favorite, like, RPG sentence. Yeah, and I mean, not to spend too much time talking about that, but, like, it is very much a game that asks you to think about what you want the narrative of your character to be. Mm-hmm. So, like, at the end of each session you learn um, everyone we decide on what the moral lesson of that game was and then you decide how your character takes that on board so like if you're making a character that believes might is right i like we look at what your teacher is trying to teach you and if might is right very much does not slot in with what the teacher is uh is trying to teach you over the arc of the game then we know that the arc of having might is right as your strongest uh stat is that we're hoping by the end of the game of the of the arc your character will have decreased the conviction of might makes right to zero so that it is no longer a principle they hold true. Mm. Like, it is a game that asks you to take on board principles that you might not necessarily agree with so that you can unlearn them. Interesting. Um, Very interesting. Or, like, take on principles very weakly and then have them bolstered. Like, oh, being selfish is bad, I think, but also everybody is a little bit selfish. Like, no, being selfish is bad. Let's strengthen that resolve. Being, oh, but maybe being good is bad. It's like, no, we're going to strengthen your resolve to be good. Like, And so where's yeah. the morality coming from? Who's making the decision what should be bolstered and what shouldn't? The teacher and therefore, and the teacher and the teacher's moralities, which are the, what we're ultimately trying to impart into each other, into the, into our characters are created collaboratively. So you decide, you build everyone together who Mm -hmm. is playing, builds the teacher for the facilitator of the game, the GM equivalent. Um, we all decide what the teacher's moralities are what their what the lessons are that they have to teach us um and so 
Uh, and and then that is sort of what shapes the narrative of the game, I guess. Right. And then the and then the GM takes the facilitator takes the 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 teacher's lessons that we've all built together and tries to build, I guess, in a way, a lesson plan. How can I? What what? Which of the lessons that the teacher has to teach are they going to focus on today? It's like, oh, let's focus on like magic isn't the solution to everything as a moral lesson. Um. Uh. And like, oh, yeah, we could build a house using magic, of course. But like, what if you just built a house using your hands? I would, I'm going to put this magic bane on the ground. You can't use any magic today. I want you to build a house. It's like, what? We don't know how to build a house. Cool. How are you going to solve that problem? Right. Like, uh, what? Uh, use a spell to... You can't use magic inside the magic bane. What are you going to do? Um, it's like, how do you solve this problem? It's like, ask you for help? That is an excellent place to begin <laughs> i like that i like it a lot i like a lot of that design space oh it's a game that needs a lot of work at the moment but um it all is, games do it, it is a i mean that game more so than many of my other ones but i've been working on it for a while um i i don't know if i think a lot of the people i've spoken to tell me that like their games tend to be designed over over a period of like two or three years mm-hmm. and they just kind of the way they keep up with a with a yearly release schedule or whatever is that they have three irons in the fire at any one time yeah definitely i mean i'm working on last count 11 games if you still count erosia uh, if you don't count erosia because it's technically published then it's 10 games um but I, I wrote Erosia in like six months, if that, possibly mm. three. Mm. Um, um, but a lot of Erosia's ultimate design process came out of um, another game that I'd been working on for a while. But uh, yeah, I just, it has been a delight to talk to you. And I can already feel that if I don't stop us, we're going to talk for another hour. I have like six questions still sitting here. So absolutely. I think, I think you're going to have to interview me for your I'm, show so that to. we can do even more co- talking about this. That sounds like a great idea. But uh, for now, mm-hmm. um, where can our listeners find you online? That is an excellent idea. Um, so I mostly work my RPG stuff uh, on the, the Gauntlet Slack. But for those of you who aren't on there, um, Twitter is a great place to find me. I'm at Action Economy, uh, which is probably the nerdiest tag I could think of. Um, spelt um, as, as it is spelt in the English words. Uh, and I'm also available as of today on a, I have a WordPress thing. I have a proper website like a human being does um, because as you found, Ray, I'm very hard to find online at the moment. So if you go to um, uh, my, my name, Sydney Icarus, S-I-D-N-E-Y, <laughs> I see, I, I was told not to not to spell out a URL. Um, yeah, just don't spell out the URL. You're yeah. still fine. You're okay. skirting that line. <laughs> I'm available at sydneyicarus.wordpress.com. Uh, <gasps> link to that. So, yes, there will be a link down below um, yes. on, on both... On part one and part two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And from there, from that website, you can find my my interviews um, with the parliament uh, and you can find my design vlog, Drawing the Owl, uh, and you can come and hang out with me. I'm always looking for more people and more friends. I hoped that you all... Now, when we talked about this earlier in the episode, we said that it was a two-part episode, but I've instead, as we've been talking, decided it's a 
two act episode because I think that will be more interesting. Uh, so I hope that you've enjoyed this two act episode brought to you by Sydney and myself, Ray. Okay. I want to thank okay. all of our patrons for making this possible. I want to thank uh, the wonderful uh, uh, V and Haley for being a catalyst for Sid and I uh, getting to know one another. Um, and I also want to thank you, Sid, for coming on the show. I thank can't, you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, I was going to say, I really appreciate your time and, and who you are as a person, Ray. It's um, it's a pleasure to, to speak to you and to, to hear your thoughts on things. You've got such an interesting uh, perspective. Yeah, uh, you might have noticed that when you get me talking, I start to run away a little. That's why I don't normally talk so much in my own interviews. Cause... I, have, I haven't noticed over the past three hours in which we've been together. <laughs> Uh, wonderful. So, but yes, I hope that you've all enjoyed listening to this episode. Um, thank you so much for recording this like extra super double sized interview. Um, but, uh, if you want to find out, see more interviews of a slightly more manageable size, uh, please check that out by clicking on the interviews tag. Um, it's a few artists and designers that we talked about during this episode that you can actually find interviews with. We have interviews with Haley and V. They're under uh, interviews that are where we talk about the story brewers. Um, interviews with Melody are on here. Um, who else did we talk about that I've done an interview with? Um, I think that was everyone that we took, that we name dropped. But yes, there's a bunch of other designers uh, that you can check out. Most of the interviews that I've done with designers have been Australian game designers, but there are also uh, designers from overseas. Uh, so find out more by clicking on the interviews tag or going to the interviews tab up the top of the website. Uh, and, you know, if you want to support us, why don't you buy our, buy our new game, Erosia, which you can find up the top by clicking on the store link. Uh, but thank you so much for being on, Sid. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think it has been a fantastic time. But for now, I will say farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>